talking benefits. 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 Talking. Talking. Talk a little bit about benefits. Yeah, benefits. Talking benefits. You are listening to Talking Benefits. Every month, we cover the top stories in retirement and healthcare, the latest benefits, hot topics, and whatever else the industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held. I'm Ann Patterson. I'm Julie Stick. And I'm Kelly Colesrude. Now let's talk benefits. For November's episode, we thought it would be interesting to examine spinal health in the workplace. And what spurred this idea is a recent survey report that we published on workplace wellness. We asked employers across the country to report the costliest conditions their organizations are covering for workers, and musculoskeletal conditions came in as number one. Justin, you crunched some more data on this, right? (laughs) I did. Sorry. It's always good to start off with a pun. Okay. I did crunch this data, Anne, that's correct. Um, Musculoskeletal conditions have been in the top five for claims cost since the foundation's 2012 wellness survey, but they were the costliest condition for plan sponsors in our most recent study, which was released this past October. Now, before we go too far, we should define what we mean by musculoskeletal conditions. Basically, these conditions include illnesses and injuries related to the joints, ligaments, muscles, nerves, tendons, and structures that support our limbs, neck, and back. Some examples include arthritis, osteoporosis, tendonitis, sprains, fractures, repetitive strain injuries, and various conditions that fall under the heading of back or neck pain. That covers a lot of conditions. I guess that explains why a recent survey by the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention found that more than half of American adults reported a musculoskeletal medical condition. That's significantly more than the next two most common health condition categories, which are circulatory conditions like heart disease, stroke, or hypertension, and respiratory conditions such as emphysema and asthma. It's also important to mention that while the prevalence of musculoskeletal conditions increases with age, younger people are affected too, often during their peak income earning years. I guess the next question is what actually causes these conditions? I did a little research on that and it looks like the causes of musculoskeletal pain vary and that contributes to why it's so prevalent. First of all, muscle tissue can be damaged with the wear and tear of daily activities, as we know. Um, Damage can also result from trauma to an area caused by Things like auto accidents, falls, fractures, sprains, dislocations, and direct blows to the muscle or bone. Pain can also be caused by poor posture, repetitive movements, overuse, and prolonged immobilization. So basically sitting too much. And as I'm talking, I'm sitting up and putting my shoulders back because something to always be aware of. Changes in posture or poor body mechanics may bring about spinal alignment problems and muscle shortening, which can then cause other muscles to be misused and become painful. See, I guess my mom's reminders always to sit up or stand up straight, don't slouch, were very beneficial to my health, not just for my appearance. Yes, that was actually good medical advice as well. (laughs) My mom was a doctor. There you go. She wasn't. Not really. (laughs) (laughs) All moms are in in their their way. Yes. (laughs) So unfortunately, many of us don't always follow these rules, and the result is higher costs for health plan sponsors due to musculoskeletal treatments and pain management. Diving a little deeper into why the costs are increasing, some believe the aging of the worker population is a significant contributor. 
Baby boomers are staying in the workforce longer, and in addition, medical and technological advances have led to more options for treating these conditions, and this in turn can create higher costs. Well, and speaking of advancements, medical professionals really can just do amazing things with worn-out joints. I recently read that joint replacement surgery is one of the most common procedures performed in the United States. More than one million joint replacements are performed every year in this country, and by 2030, that number is expected to grow to more than 4 million. I think my great aunt had one or two shoulders replaced, plus at least one hip and a knee, I don't know, during her senior years. It was all that golfing she did in her middle (laughs) years that goofed up her shoulders and caught up with her. Yes, sounds like she's uh, became sort of a bionic woman there. That's true. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of joint replacement surgery, data shows that the cost of these procedures varies dramatically among healthcare providers. That's why many employers and plan sponsors are giving incentives to workers to go to providers that offer good quality treatment at a lower price. Now, another area that contributes to the cost for these conditions is the rising cost of prescription drugs. For instance, prices for rheumatoid arthritis drugs have skyrocketed over the past five years. According to the GoodRx List Price Index, average list prices, meaning the official prices set by the manufacturer, for arthritis drugs have increased by 92% since 2014, while surpassing the price increase rate for brand and generic drugs in general. And another factor that makes these conditions expensive is their chronic nature. Arthritis and some types of back and neck pain seem to be conditions that are managed, but they're never really cured. Even an injury resulting from an accident that seems to be healed may result in a weakened joint that is susceptible to injury again, or even arthritis later on, and that can lead to increased health care costs. Now, the types of work we do can contribute to musculoskeletal issues, but the type of strain experienced varies by profession. Musculoskeletal conditions have long been a cost driver for those who do physical labor, like construction workers, public safety workers, some factory workers, and those who work in the hospitality industry. Those workers often don't have to worry about getting enough steps in during a day, that's for sure. But they may wear out their bodies by doing so much activity for so many years. That's right, Julie. For other professions, musculoskeletal conditions can occur from repetitive movements. So you can think of some types of factory workers doing the same motion over and over again all day. Hairstylists who stand for hours with their arms lifted. Another group of employees getting lots of attention in recent years are sedentary workers. Those of us who sit at a desk and use a computer or other electronic devices for hours on end. This type of work can result in tech neck and repetitive hand and wrist strains. I guess the main takeaway here is that musculoskeletal conditions are prevalent, affect adults of all ages and professions, and are getting more and more expensive. Yes, and on that note, we're going to take a quick break. But when we return, we'll chat with a chiropractor on how employers can crack down on the number of spinal claims and costs. Someone has to stop her. (laughs) I can't be stopped. (laughs) Learning is always great, and it's even better when you can escape the winter weather and learn about great topics from dynamic speakers in sunny Florida. The Health Benefits Conference and Expo will be in Clearwater, Florida, January 20th, to the 22nd, 2020. We'll cover a variety of topics, including how to keep your plan costs down, how to better communicate your benefits, and how to engage your workforce, including several generations. Sign up today at ifebp.org hbce. 
And we're back. Julie, you had a chance to chat with a chiropractor about spinal health, right? Yes, I had the pleasure of chatting with our friendly neighborhood chiropractor, Dr. William Schneider, for additional insight into spinal health in the workplace. Dr. Schneider practices at Chiropractic Partners, which is located right down the road from the International Foundation's headquarters in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Let's listen in. Hi, my name is Bill Schneider, and I've worked for Chiropractic Partners here in Waukesha for about 20 years. I went to school in Western States Chiropractic in Portland, Oregon, and I've been a licensed chiropractor in Wisconsin since 2000. Well, thank you for being with us today. What can employers do to help promote spinal health in the workplace? For example, let's start with sedentary employees. Are there easy ergonomic desk layout fixes, for example, that might help? A lot of it's fairly low-tech stuff. I think a lot of the basic comfortable ergonomics come from having just the simple things. The the screen that you're looking at, the middle of the screen is eye height when you're comfortably seated. The keyboard is about the same height as your elbows. You don't have a mouse that's down on a weird drawer or something. It's right there by the keyboard. You're in a comfortable chair with maybe a little bit of lumbar support so that you're kind of sitting up straighter. And then having the monitor square in front of you, it's amazing how many ergonomic setups where people will maybe have two monitors or they'll be looking at an easel that has some document they're working on and they look like meerkat men or their necks going every which way trying to pick up things. You know, in a more perfect world, they'd sit kind of fairly square and then uh, take some reasonable breaks. There's one of them called 20-20-20, where every 20 minutes you look for 20 seconds at something 20 feet away. Gives your eyes a little bit of relief, get up, walk around. Nobody nobody goes on a road trip and drives for six hours and gets up and feels good, right? Same thing with your desk. Just uh, take a break once in a while. What do you think about standing desks or, or treadmill desks? I get that question quite a bit. Intuitively, I think it makes sense. Anything that you can do to break up the just the, the seated thing where all of a sudden you go to get up and use the restroom and you've been in the same position for four hours. So standing, sitting, you know, moving around a little bit while you talk on the phone, I think it's all good. I don't know where the uh, research is on it, but I don't think there's a big downside to it. I think it's something proactive that you can do, though, instead of just ratting around in your chair and having no option, at least if you can get up and move around and change it up over the day. If it makes somebody happier and they're a more productive employee and you feel better, that's it's worth a couple hundred bucks to keep an employee happy, in my opinion. All right, so what are some ideas for workers who are on their feet or they're bending or lifting most of the day? What could employers do to help uh, promote healthy backs? One of the basic tenets of, of having a healthy back and good biomechanics is good shoes. If I don't have good shoes, my, my back hurts. And then when they start getting worn out, my back will start hurting instead of doing the typical guy thing and wearing them another year and a half just because they still look good, I'll spring for a new pair. Good footwear is imperative. Uh, There's some other ideas with anti-fatigue mats and then just your basic health situation. If you can encourage people to lose a few pounds and be mindful of their posture, everybody walks around looking like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. I mean, they're looking down at a phone. If everybody walked around like a drill sergeant and had their head back up over their shoulders and their shoulders over their hips and their hips over their knees and their knees over your feet, your back and your neck would last 100 years. Just your day-to-day posture have that. And then when you work and you have to bend over and do some things, make that the posture you return to instead of walking around like a a Cro-Magnon person or something. (laughs) Well, my mother always told me to stand up straight, so I guess she was right. Everything she told you wasn't true, but that one I can vouch for. (laughs) That's great. So does offering yoga in the workplace help? 
Um, that's an interesting question. Yoga is one of any number of things that get people concentrating on what position their bodies are in. Yoga in particular, I, I, I'm not against it. I'm, I'm an advocate, but I'll, I'll tell you, I've treated a lot of people that have hurt themselves doing yoga. So I tell people, it's like, get an instructor that's about your age, your body type, and your temperament. Mm. You know, don't, do, don't be the 50-year-old guy that goes into some class and tries to stick your ankle behind your neck. Take it with some baby steps. And uh, any sort of stretching, any, anything like just getting up and walking around at lunchtime, I think, would help. I think if yoga suits you, it's fine. I think it's one of any number of strategies. So is stress at all connected to back health? You know, I don't know how that manifests itself and being so, so balled up, but it's amazing how, how much of a tangible effect that has, a detrimental effect on your overall biomechanical health. And it's just amazing. You can work on somebody's upper shoulders and back, and you can almost tell what their vocation is. You know, like teachers and counselors and people that, you know, wear their shoulders like earrings. A lot of people just don't manage stress well, and it, some of that's kind of a personality trait. There's people that, have, that I've known as patients that are, have just debilitating conditions that are happy as a clam, and then people that are otherwise healthy and don't have any strikes against them, and they've always got headaches, and they're always hurt, and they've got horrible posture just because they, they don't manage stress. It'll, it'll double down on hurting you. It doesn't care if you've already got something going against you, so stress just adds a layer to it. <laughs> That is very true. That is very true. And you're right that some people have some more resilience uh, when it comes to things like that and others uh, suffer more, I think, depending on what's going on. But would something like uh, regular mindfulness sessions help alleviate some pain? That's interesting. I think that should be an integral part. It's just a daily sort of thing. I mean, there should be some kind of strategy to help you know, maybe balance people and center people. I, I don't I don't think there's any downside to doing something like that, just to let people step back and center themselves. Right. So I think that to, to your point, I think that anything that you can you can do to help keep people on an even keel, that that's just a basic tenant of, of living right. All right. And then I am curious to know if you've noticed a shift in the kind of pain that patients have been experiencing over the years that you've been practicing. And if that's due to changing technology in the workplace, you mentioned looking at the computer, we sit too much. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's a definite trend that's not going in the right direction. Um, Part of that is as time has gone by, so many people have gone from some sort of a physical job where they physically do things, they mechanically manipulate things, they walk, they move to where they're sedentary. And then look at how many people, they're always looking down at their phone, they're just, they have this defeated posture. And that leaves a mark. I've, I've treated some, you know, 20-year-old kids that have backs and necks. It's like, are you a brick mason? I mean, I've seen people that have worked hard their whole life that don't have the knots and the the head forward kind of, they call that kyphotic posture. Uh, Another thing to that too is, I mean, it's no secret, people are getting bigger. I mean, in my 20 years of chiropractic, I don't know what the average difference in weight from 20 years ago is, but people aren't getting smaller. And the, the, the more overweight you are, the more you liable you are to have back problems or knee problems that are all kind of relatable to your, just your morphology, the way you're built. There's a lot of people that could help themselves by uh, getting to a healthier resting state. That's certainly changed over the years. Right, and I know you mentioned looking down at your phone and having tech shoulders. Are there ways people can try to combat that? My answer would be to try and disconnect or limit screen time. 
if you don't do something to address that head forward posture, it'll it'll come back to haunt you. I, I don't want to use scare tactics, but people don't respond until they hurt, until it's too late. People come in from subtle things like these chronic over overloading of the postures, and they're like, I didn't do anything, and I hurt. I just reached into the dryer for a sock, and I can't stand up. It's like, well, don't go through life hating socks. My suggestion is limit screen time, but it's what people do. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share, Bill? I think I just tell people move more, uh, take an action step, and find what works for you. Do something that's proactive, whether it's acupuncture, uh, PT. Try a couple of things, and if it works, do it. Keep moving. Take responsibility for for your own health and well-being. Well, great. Thank you so much. Excellent. You're welcome. That was very insightful, and it gave us lots to think about. As we just heard, Dr. Schneider shared some ideas about how to promote spinal health in the workplace. Let's take a dive into those ideas and how employers can apply them within their organizations. So Dr. Schneider talked about the importance of finding what works for each individual patient in pain. If chiropractic care is the preferred treatment choice, most employers, if they offer health care coverage as an employee benefit, offer coverage for chiropractic services. For example, we found in our 2018 benefits benchmarking survey report that 79% of employers offer chiropractic coverage for their employees and dependents. I thought the connection that he made between stress and body health was really interesting. Mm -hmm. We've devoted entire episodes discussing managing stress in the workplace, but this was a really good reminder that by offering programs like mindfulness and just being more aware of stress in the workplace, organizations can really help employees stay physically healthy, which ends up promoting spinal health. All right, ideas for moving more and encouraging employees to move more. Go. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess the one of the things that comes to mind is that some employers provide standing, walking, or cycling desks mm-hmm. or workstations to get employees out of their chairs. Our wellness survey found that 62% of employers offered these. That was really a large jump from our last survey conducted on wellness in 2017. So just in a couple of years, that really grew. While some employees have adjustable standing desks right in their own workspace, or maybe even a treadmill desk, some employers may not find it financially possible to provide these to everyone, or they just may want to test it out first. Here at the foundation, we have a couple standing workstations that anyone can use throughout the day. Also, we have one walking station that has proven to be so popular that employees have to sign up to use it in 30-minute increments. We also provide adjustable desks upon request. We have a couple of pedal ellipticals that can be used underneath a desk. Maybe you'll recall that Justin entertained us in an earlier episode by pedaling while we recorded. Yes, thank you for yeah, reminding everyone about the pedaling. Was there squeaking involved? I don't recall. I think it was pretty quiet. I think he was huffing yeah. and puffing. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't. <laughs> We should probably start just all of us cycling under our desks while we record and see how that changes things up a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Then we can't tease them anymore. Right. We're, but speaking of which, we're also, the foundation's going to be introducing in early 2020 a bike with a desk built in, which will be pretty cool. And we learned from from researching, you know, how to, how to get one of these in place that many companies that sell these allow a 30-day trial. So that's a great option for workplaces just to make sure, you know, you always want to fit the needs of your employee population make sure it's a good fit for your workforce before purchasing one. So we'll see how it how it does. Yeah. 
And something else that we found in our survey, 44% of our respondents offer ergonomic training and or supports at their workstations. So this could include chairs that enhance your posture, backrests, some people use exercise balls, special supports for your monitor, special keyboards, things like that. Well, another idea is that meetings could be conducted while standing up or walking around. Although that may be tricky for me. I don't know. Walking, talking, that gets, you know, complicated. But but actually walking outside in great weather could be just the thing to stimulate ideas and wake you up. Are are you implying that my meetings are boring, Kelly? Um, Let's move on. Let's just change the subject here. Management can also encourage employees to get up and leave their desk, to go take a walk, to do some physical activity, or exercise throughout the day. 41% of our survey respondents encourage activity or exercise breaks during work time. These breaks can be informal, just get up and go, or they can be more formalized. For example, they could be scheduled for every hour or once mid-morning and mid-afternoon. Employees can be encouraged to set a reminder, things like that. I love the reminder idea, Justin. I know here at the foundation, there's a group of us that every day at 3.45 p.m., we go down into our wellness center and do a really quick five-minute, just we do squats, we do like quick little ab exercises and arm exercises. It gets us up and moving and then we're all a little more productive at the end of the day. We call ourselves the secret squatting society. I know it's not so secret anymore. <laughs> Words gotten out. Yeah, that, that does bring an interesting mind picture. You know. <laughs> what, squat? It's very yeah. exclusive. <laughs> secret squat. Yes. Um, also, that 202020 rule that Dr. Schneider mentioned is an easy one to communicate to employees as well. So for every 20 minutes spent looking at a screen, a person should get up and look at something 20 feet away for 20 mm-hmm. seconds. Switching topics a little bit, he also mentioned any t- any activity that makes you aware of your body and kind of feeling centered is helpful. And it's pretty common for workplaces to offer exercise classes on site like yoga, tai chi, or aerobics. 33% said that they did so in our, our latest workplace wellness survey. And then these activities can also help manage stress levels within the organization. Well, there are other ways employees can get some activity in during the day. For example, as we've all heard, take the stairs rather than the elevator. Uh, We could park in a parking spot that isn't as close to the door. And we could even walk or pace while we're on a phone call. Well, and to work out those neck aches, some employers bring massage therapists on site for 10, 20, or 30-minute chair massages. We found that nearly a quarter of our survey respondents do this. That sounds nice. Mm -hmm. As Justin mentioned earlier, another issue that sedentary employees have to be concerned about is the physical well-being of our wrists and hands. Um, We don't always think about this, but because of our using our mouse and our keyboard all day, every day. If you look online, you can find suggested exercises for your wrists and fingers that involve shaking, stretching, rotating, gripping. It might look a little funny if somebody walks into your workspace while you're doing them, but I mean, who cares if they help? Just just do what works. Whatever works. So we've been talking a lot about sedentary employees. So what can employers do for other types of workers, uh, those who are on their feet all day? They can suffer from chronic back pain and, and develop musculoskeletal problems with their legs or feet. Some options to consider for these folks would be anti-fatigue rubber mats like Dr. Schneider mentioned earlier or um, foot rails or foot rests so they can adjust how they're standing and even a tall chair or seat that they can sit on or even lean against that can help um, relieve some of that stress. 
even maybe tasks could be rotated among workers so that not the same ones are standing and doing the same things over and over again. And of course, regular breaks are a really important component where these workers can sit or even lie down or even just stretch. Yep, those are good ideas, Kelly. And Dr. Schneider, just to piggyback off of that, he also mentioned the importance of good shoes. So maybe employers could offer something like a yearly stipend to help balance the cost of purchasing a good quality pair of shoes if workers are on their feet all day. Yeah, that's a really great idea. With the shoes, the old adage is true, you get what you pay for, right? I've discovered that. Those cute little pumps that are on sale, they're not so great for your feet. <laughs> yes. So Worth the investment. Yes. <laughs> so any ideas for what employers can do for employees who drive for their job? Yeah, Julie, uh, there's such a thing as repetitive driving injuries, or RDI. Um, these injuries are largely due to poor driving posture, and this could include foot cramps, lumbar pain, stiff neck, side aches, headaches, and even eye strain. And, of course, there's fatigue. Well, and to help with posture, drivers should make sure that the seat, headrest, and mirrors are positioned properly. Also, mobile phone calls should be hands-free, and drivers really need to take regular breaks. One rule of thumb is 15 minutes break for every two hours of driving. So we've been talking about ways to try to prevent or mitigate musculoskeletal issues. So let's briefly discuss what employers can do to help employees if a condition arises. First, there's the aforementioned chiropractic services. Employers can also cover physical or occupational therapy or even massage therapy. We mentioned at the beginning of the episode that some employers are encouraging their workers to seek care from lower-cost, high-quality providers. That's true, Julie. And many employers have now implemented health plan designs that involve the idea of progressive treatment as a way to avoid surgery or at least have surgery be the last resort. For example, if someone is suffering from a musculoskeletal injury, a plan may require that they first visit a physical or occupational therapist or a chiropractor. Maybe massage will be recommended or even other types of treatment like acupuncture or acupressure. And then, of course, pain management would be handled throughout that progression. And as a reminder, if you can't offer all of these types of support to your employees, many of these recommendations are still qualified medical expenses under IRC Section 213D. So that means employees can pay for them with FSAs, HSAs, and HRAs. All right, just switching topics a bit, let's assume the employee has to be out for a while to recover. Let's give our listeners a quick explanation of return to work or light duty programs. Well, these types of programs can and should be made available for employees who are out on workers' compensation or on short-term or long-term disability. In fact, under some workers' comp or disability policies, offering light duty is a required accommodation. That's right, Julie. And these types of programs can run the gamut. To start, they can mean fewer hours worked per day. They can entail temporarily having employees um, do work that they normally don't do if it would be easier for them. Or it could mean eliminating certain tasks from their regular routine if they're too difficult to do. For example, a modified program could mean having stricter lifting and carrying requirements or could offer more desk work so that employees can sit more than they typically do in their normal duties. 
Well, as we wind up this episode, we would like to point out that we've barely tapped the surface. Oh, uh, there she goes. She took she it was, away from me. I like it. it. You know, wow. it was inspired, I guess. So we barely tapped the surface on the topic that has great magnitude. Certainly, as you all know, we are not medical professionals, nor attorneys, and we don't even claim to play them on TV. As you're looking to set up benefit plans and well-being programs, you may want to talk with your consultants, brokers, attorneys, or other providers to make sure your program design is legally compliant and effective. On that note, that is it for us this month. We hope that you'll be able to apply some of the suggestions from this episode to crack down on your spinal claims. Mm. I just had to do one more real quick before we ended. Sorry. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So thanks so much to Dr. William Schneider for sharing his expertise with us today. And we'd also like to give a shout out to our loyal listener, Jill Mongaluzzo. Thank you for listening, Jill. Thank you, Jill. Thank you, Jill. And I think we need to do a special shout out to Justin's dad because it's a big life event this month for him. Yes, uh, he is retiring the day before Thanksgiving, the 27th. So congratulations to him for a long career. He said he's still going to listen after he retires, even though he's not in the workforce. And I hope he has a good retirement plan and getting good pension He does, he does, he does. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, we'd also like to hear from you as well. In fact, we've created a listener survey so that we can hear what you think about the podcast and even what you'd like us to cover in future episodes. That's right. You can find a link to the survey at ifebp.org slash podcast. And if the eternal gratitude of your favorite podcast hosts isn't enough, we've sweetened the pot. You'll be entered to win a $10 Amazon gift card just for filling out the survey. And then we will announce the winner on the next episode. So that's $10 of cold, hard digital cash just for letting us know what you think. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to it on your favorite podcasting app so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device. Today's program is copyrighted in 2019 by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, all rights reserved. The opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel. We're going to have like two-year-olds in 2021. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrifying. I'll be utilizing my mental health benefits. <laughs> I've been I've been <laughs> admiring how well we're all pronouncing musculoskeletal. <laughs> Me too. Because Justin webcast, and I, yeah. yeah, we were we were both oh, like trying to I practice bet. that for the webcast, like musculoskeletal. <laughs> yeah, it could be one of those mouth exercises that they do. Be you know that actors oh, do. Right, musculoskeletal. Yes. Musculoskeletal. <laughs>